Welcome to the 24 Stories podcast that aims to educate, inspire and help build brands. I'm your host, Stephen Ryan, founder of 24 Stories, and I'll be joined each week by guests from a variety of industries here to tell you how they built their brands. Welcome to episode 20 of the 24 Stories podcast. This week, it's a bit different for me. We have not one, but two guests in the studio. I'm joined by uh, Connor Crowley and Paul McSherry from Crowley's Opticians. Uh, welcome to the 24 Stories podcast. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Stephen. So this week, I'm going to focus more on the story of a well-established business in in Cork. And I'll start with yourself, Connor. The business has been around a hundred years, but it's kind of changed in that time, has it? Yeah, well, we've started off in 1916. It was uh, The name was Harris Hundles at that stage. Yeah. I said there's very few around Cork that might remember yeah. the name Harris Hundles. But uh, then if we move quickly forward, my dad bought it uh, in about in the 70s, early 70s. Yeah. And then I took over from him in the 90s. So it's it's carried on. It changed then to Crowley's Opticians around the 70s. But there's been the optical practice has been on the Grand Parade for uh, since 1916. In the same so, pl- in the same in the place? same place, 26 Grand Parade. Wow. Mr. Brooke was uh, the optician. who th- He was still around when I was a young lad and yeah. I learned a lot about optics. The room that it was, there was pan- oak panelling and it was the real classic. Yeah. In fact, nowadays it would be great to have one like yeah. it now if you could go back because yeah. it was oak panelling curtains, the windows were blocked in. Yeah. So it was a real almost Dickensian shop that when you opened the door, the bell rings and there was a fireplace in the corner. So that was where we came from. Uh, there's been a number of changes along the way. And so you going into that into that store when you were when you were younger, paint a picture of what was the Grand Parade like back then? So like in the in those early days I Obviously, the English market oh, was there, I presume. But oh, the English market was there. There was when Mister Brook came. There was trams on the road, which yeah. we should never go back to again. But yeah. there was trams up and down the the Grand Parade. The market yeah. was was there, uh, and I remember going through it. Now, I suppose I, I can only remember from the sixties. Yeah, probably yeah. On. Uh, the, the the parking was way different. There was parking down the centre. That's right. And there was yeah. double parking on yeah. the above the fountain. Yeah. There was parking opposite the library, so you yeah. could park, and there was hourly, so you had to hop out, yeah. move the car around, and to a different parking space, <laughs> yeah. and, and yeah. back to work again. So there was a big movement every couple of hours. People were moving cars all over the place. Uh, Albert Plunkett Street, I mean, that was crazy as well. There was parking all down Albert Plunkett Street. Yeah. And I mean, it's so from there, from that point of view, it has changed. What we've gone through is the... You know, people might remember the disruption when they put the whole new That's right. uh, pipes yeah. down yeah. Uh, the Grand Parade. There was yeah. I, I remember looking down into that trench. It was about 30 feet down and they put it in. But it did solve the flooding. Yeah. Because that's going back another story. Yeah. Uh, where the Grand Parade, I mean, we used to come in and it was boxes of frames would be With floating. The glasses floating all around floating the shop. around the shop and, yeah. and, uh, when you come in. So, uh, and I, the one thing they, they did do that was done very well, that yeah. we've, we've rarely had flooding. Since now, I, I know it's it's down the South Mall and yeah. outside the door here. Yeah. But it doesn't come up through the sewerage, which it did. Which it did. In be. the old days. So, the, from our point of view, the, the flooding is much, much improved. So you're so, one of the few businesses that have survived through that 
I suppose, change in Ireland over the last hundred years. On, on the Grand Parade, there's very few of your neighbours still around. Maybe the chemist? And, uh, uh, there's few. I mean, even looking down through it, I mean, I remember, uh, I mean, this is going back, Sean Jennings across the way, and yeah. there was about four or five buildings right across from us. Yeah. Now they've all, I remember they burned down. I was in watching the fire. Oh, a lot more fires there. But uh, we watched it burn. So those shops were gone. Now that's the park, Bishop Lucy Park. Okay. And then down Casey's, I remember there was a lot of buildings down towards the South Mall. Yeah. Uh, that's all gone now. And it's Casey's car park. Well, of course, Casey's are 100 years old as well. So, yeah, yeah so, so they're so they they around the took same over. Time. Yeah, that was, a, a, yeah. that was just derelict. And then there was Conway's Yard, which was, that's for, that was horses in the old days. Yeah. Uh, no, that was just a, a derelict site for years and yeah. years. Yeah. Uh, and then Casey's t- subsequently took it over and built the car park. Going down the other way, obviously the capital. Yeah. My dad used, uh, if we went in town, he'd bring us down, stick us in the back seat mm. of the picture house yeah. and go away. So that was like the, I don't think you get away with he'd that. He'd go into work and he'd be he'd inside the cinema. And we'd be in the cinema. So he'd yeah. come down and pick us up yeah. uh, and the usher or the usherette would look after us. Yeah. So that was the kind of baby uh, thing, which was good. I saw a lot of films anyway, uh, as a result. So the capital is gone. Further down, there was Murray's. Uh, they're gone. The uh, Drapers. Yeah. They were doing all materials. So and just uh, fins. But that's only recently. It's fins only recently, for years. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's gone. Uh, there was the Queen's Old Castle, which was great shopping. Yeah, That's yeah. gone. I'm, I'm scratching my so head now. A lot of stuff has changed. This, uh, you know, I know what you think about it, but I've been around for a while. So you've seen it all <coughs> at this point. I've seen changing it. Just. Like so, you went into the business yourself in the seventies, is it? Uh, yeah, I went in about early seventies. Yes. Were glasses as common then as they are today? Yeah. So there was, I'd say, about five or six models of gents and five or six models of ladies. That was it. That would. Uh, so nowadays, I mean, it's totally changed. I mean, it, it came out and I was a fashion item. I mean, Ray-Ban. Yeah. Ray-Ban were almost going bust along the way. Yeah. And next, uh, suddenly they've come along. I mean, the Ray-Ban uh, brand now has come along. So the brands started coming out. Then you, they brought the, the frames out, the, the Christian Dior's, the... Yeah. Gucci's, they all started coming on board and then it was a fashion item. Well, that's true. The, uh, even early, well, probably 60s, but 70s and 80s, I mean, the, the, the fashion became uh, much more important to people. Uh, our range grew mm. and then people needed them more. I mean, you had to read. Uh, well, computers weren't around at that stage, yeah, but yeah. the uh, but people were reading more, so they needed spectacles more, and then it just followed. It evolved then into a fashion item, uh, which today, I mean, it is a fashion item. People have no qualms about buying uh, yeah, and wearing yeah. them. Then contact lenses came in for sport. All that then developed in uh, over the years. So uh, there's been a lot of changes over the in the last fifty years or so. Were you always destined to be an optician? So, with your father, or, or kind of, did you have that chat? Well, I suppose I kind of in a lot of the podcasts you have people kind of fell into yes. it, things. So I started off in the bank, funnily enough. Okay. So I ended up down in Bantry, which was uh, back in when was that? I was seventy, I think. That was an experience in itself. In but banking you weren't from days. you weren't from West Coast. No, no. Well, I mean, you go into the. You go off doing your training for the bank. Yeah, you get the yeah. bank, go off the training about three or four weeks in Dublin. And on the last day, then they give you this letter telling you report to. 
Yeah. And I was AIV Bantry. I've never there before, but I had to go off down to Bantry yeah. a week later. That was an experience. I spent a few years there. Mm. So we were thinking of coming into the business. My dad was getting busier. And then I just went in. I just handled, funnily enough, the binocular side and instruments side. Mm. Now, the instruments were getting bigger, and it came to a point where I either do scientific instruments yeah. or I just go into optics. So yeah. I went for optics. I went to uh, did a course uh, through City and East London College. Yeah. And then I did a dispensing course while I was working as well. So then I was in then, and right. that was uh, that was it. Looking back, I suppose I, if it wasn't optics, I'd have probably, I like flying. And I did yeah. a, a license, a, I got a license along the way much, uh, much later. Yes. But probably a pilot would have been my next thing. But I suppose everybody is yeah. <laughs> yeah. thought of a pilot. But uh, I like traveling and the. Uh, so it was either one or the other for you, but you stuck with one. the family business. I stuck with the family business and, and uh, you went into it. So I was conscious of it because you do kind of get sucked in and we yeah. were just you know chatting sometimes that sometimes the daughters and the sons yeah. are kind of hooked into coming yeah. and uh, yeah. there's, the, that's, there's a succession thing but that's a different uh, story so altogether. your father so, hooked you in well, I suppose it's kind of a thing when you're standing to like a bunch of fellas going where will we go tonight will yeah. we go to such and such yeah we will like everyone is there nobody decided yeah. to go so yeah. you're you're kind of in and then once you're in it's it's hard to to, 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 come to, out. To, to come out so we worked away and a bit but happily I mean I had a great uh, yeah. great time in optics it was very good up until uh, up until the present day and I mean I'm still very much so you, when did it happen then that you took over from your father then I was running it really okay. you know, 70s through the 80s yeah. he was taking more time off and yeah. I was running it and then in the 90s he was just packing up even though was, when he Packed up, he just stayed on. I bought over the shares. Yeah. I became the owner, but yeah. he was still uh, there. Unfortunately, then he got uh, Alzheimer's, which yeah. isn't a great yeah. uh, disease because yeah. he used to come into the shop with Alzheimer's. Yeah. Is, uh, you know the funny things that happened that you know he might know some yeah. of the patients. He'd go over and say, "Are you okay?" Yeah. And he'd take the spectacles and go away. Okay. And then I'd come over and I said, are you okay? To the patient. <laughs> yeah. And they said, oh, we're fine. Then after about 15, 20 minutes, I said, are you okay? Oh, yes. Mr. Crowley took my, my oh, spectacles. Yeah, yeah. And next we were into him, he had Alzheimer's. We were saying, where did you leave the spectacles? So now usually he went to people that he knew anyway. Yeah. So they all saw the, the funny side yeah. of it when we eventually found the spectacles. So, But I mean, it was sad to see yeah. uh, where the Alzheimer's uh, bit into him. And uh, he, he, I suppose he went away from us over a quarter of a period of time. Yeah. It was like a, a dying disease. Yeah. But uh, but that's that's a separate. Uh, but he would have been thing. probably proud in that you you kind of brought, I suppose, the business further down the road. Oh yeah. Was it at that stage you looked at Carrigaline yeah, and things like that? Yeah, we opened. I was living in Carrigaline, so we opened okay. in Carrigaline. We opened in Ballancolig. Now my brother took that one then. Yeah. So subsequently he moved on and closed it down. But we opened there. But I carried on in Carrigaline. Yeah. So we had the two practices going. Yeah. And uh, then we were planning a strategy. So we took uh, say advisors on board, namely Barry O'Driscoll. So he came yeah. on board. And he was very much uh, for on the financial side yeah. and how to run it uh, as a business. Yeah. So then he put more structure on it. Subsequently, we set up a management team, which yeah. is running it. We have two more practices. Yeah. We've opened Ballancolic and Newbridge. 
Oh, so, no, so you've gone outside of Cork now? We've gone outside of Cork. And then we also have the corporate section, which is going out to companies and setting up a whole testing within the uh, within the company. I'm guessing that's so, multinationals or something, bigger oh, yeah, organisations. Yeah. So uh, I'm kind of going ahead a bit of myself right, on the... But that, I suppose that brings us nicely into where where you must have come in then, Paul. You're fairly recent to the business. I'm pretty recent to the business, yeah. So I, I actually came in from um, from the tech sector. I was working in, in Blizzard Entertainment in the management team in there. And myself and Barry had talked about Crowley's over the years. We'd be friends. Um, we're neighbours. Um, and we were chatting for a number of years. And I'd be talking about what I was doing in Blizzard. And Barry would be talking about how it was going in Crowley's. And uh, he seemed to be having a lot of fun, to be honest, yeah. uh, considering. Um, and... We got chatting about the future of the business and eventually I came on board. So that was actually the end of 2019, beginning of 2020. So I timed just it very well. <laughs> yeah, so just before COVID. So we, yeah. we, we came in and just to say on, on some of what Connor said there before, I think Connor deserves a huge amount of credit for having the vision to, to, to see what was probably the next best step for the business. Yeah. And I think a lot of small business owners don't aren't as courageous as that because often, you know, it can be scary to let go of a bit of control there and all that. But... Mm. He's still very much the heartbeat of the of the business. So he's we have a, a small management team around us now. So so Barry at the heart of that, and Connor and myself in as kind of communications corporate all the other bits and pieces, mm-hmm. and we have an operations chap we brought on board called Martin as well, Martin Heap, and um, and most importantly I suppose Connor uh, we brought in uh, Gronya Maguire. So Gronya would be our optical director. Gronya has a huge amount of experience in running opticians over yeah. the last twenty something years, and and she along with the rest of us, are kind of representing what Crowley's is hoping to become, which is kind of a bigger, you know, yeah. brighter, better, uh, yeah. as much as we possibly can, and uh, try and create a bit of space for ourselves in the Irish market around optics where we feel we can provide a very family business run, but actually at a higher level. So mm-hmm. f- even having four stores puts us in the top few percent of of independent opticians in this country. Yeah. You know, there aren't many who would have four stores. And then the corporate service on top would probably would probably kick us into a different uh, area too because as far as I'm aware we're the only ones able to do it Yeah, and as you mentioned multinationals so that's a big part of that business is going into businesses uh, across Cork and Kildare and Dublin as well where we, we bring full uh, eye tests on site Your title Paul is Head of Communities now that's an unusual one for an yeah, opticians it is. I associate that with big uh, global multinational organisations your, your tech companies You've obviously got inspired from your previous, I suppose, roles and and you're trying to bring some of that, I suppose, bigger vision into into Crowley's. Yeah, we are ambitious. But we're also realistic. And mm. it's interesting to pick up on that because that's a good observation. We we debated a lot about whether I should even have a title, frankly, yeah. coming in. Yeah. Uh, we settled on this. Sometimes I think it's a terrible idea. Sometimes I think it was a good idea. It yeah. largely doesn't matter too much. But yes, I know. Yeah. But, but you're right in, in that it's a bit of a statement of ambition, you know, we do feel like we're a bit different from a lot of other optical retailers, maybe in some ways, and that we we would talk a lot about sincerity. We would try to do a lot of things uh, that we feel is sincerely the right thing for our customers and for the yeah. brand, you know. So that's kind of what that's supposed to encapsulate then a bit. And community yeah. cohesion and connecting into it is a large part of that. Yeah. If you're an optician, you are, you are effectively a very, you know, in their local community you're based in, you're a very important service, yeah. which we learned a huge amount about last year and the year before yeah. when we were in the few places with our doors open during mm-hmm. the pandemic and people, you know, still needed to get their eyes tests, even though this was a serious health emergency going on. Yeah. So kind of understood that maybe we were doing the right thing here. There is still a huge amount of uh, importance to having that local community health provider. So that's what we're kind of trying to work on at the moment. Because it's interesting that. that word community 
it's kind of means two different things in today's world. For some, it means the people around them. It's their local area. It's it's mm. like a center of activity. For others, it means the audience that they have online. Yeah. And, you know, are you kind of looking at that as well and saying, OK, well, we could build that audience online. And we that's another good point you hit on there. So so my previous job working inside in the games industry, the computer games industry, the community you speak about there, this online community, that's, yeah. that was everything. That's where the community yeah. existed. And that was manifest then mm. at major conferences that you might hold yeah. once or twice a year and people would turn up to celebrate that community. Mm. But obviously when you're a high street retailer or healthcare provider, yeah. you know, we're kind of both. The community you're talking about really there is your local community, the people who've come to you for 30 years. Yeah. And, and bear in mind in optics, people don't tend to be very flighty with the optician. If they like the optician, they stay yeah. there for generations sometimes. Yeah. So there's a really big importance, you know, like, We've talked about a bit uh, how we're moving from, you know, Connor's time over to a management team. We have to be very careful around that because Connor has built up a huge amount of goodwill over and his father before him and Harris Rundle before that. Yeah. So we need to make sure that that transition is managed very well so that we don't lose that brilliant community that we've managed to, to gain all these years. And then meanwhile, as you say, you need to start working on the broader community out there. So the digital side of things, and that's something that has fallen under my read a bit, a bit, which is how do we improve what we're doing? How do we get our message out more clearly? What is our message? All that kind of stuff. So, Paul, when you changed from gaming into opticians, what was the biggest surprise in the industry that you you found? Uh, I'd say what impresses me every day is the is the passion and the kind of you know it, it might seem like a cliche and trite, but the reality is the people working in your local opticians care an awful lot about optics. Yeah, there is a huge amount of interest and passion, and the amount of time that people put in, even after on their own time and the hours yeah. in the evening, to learn more about their trade. Yeah. That kind of level of commitment, I think we take for granted. Um, but I noticed it very obviously when I first came in, I was kind of going like, this is this is really quite impressive. And it almost makes you feel, well, I mean, I, I really need to make sure I, you know, that, that I pull my socks up here so that I can yeah. provide a business for them to do the work that they're so passionate about. That was a big, big thing for me. I'd say the other, I mean, obviously there's other things aside. I mean, you're, you're coming from a massive multinational brand, which has very, very deep pockets mm. and can basically make this, make mistakes. Mm. and not worry too much if they do. Yeah. Worst thing you're going to get is a bad review at the end of the year. Yeah. Uh, whereas we have to be um, extremely smart with our resources. We are yeah. not a massive multinational brand. We, If we're going to plunge into something, we need to be sure it's for the right reason, that it yeah. really is keeping with the brand. Uh, it is the right thing for our customers and our staff. So, uh, But that's a good thing. Yeah. It's a good um, you know, process to go through because it does keep you honest. So, Connor, that idea of community... What was it like when the likes of the big UK opticians came into Ireland? As in, I'm thinking Specsavers, Optical Express, all these kind of guys. That that must have been a huge disruption mm. for small independent opticians like yourselves. Oh, it was. I mean, it was a, a fundamental change in the whole market. I think that was around the 90s. I suppose I took over the place and bought it out in yeah. one. And in another fell swoop, opticians had to pay that. We, okay, we yeah. didn't have to pay VAT up oh, to then. Oh, we didn't have to pay VAT. And next we were yeah. into the VAT net. Yeah. And, and at the same time, then Specsavers came. It's uh, a huge, uh, yeah. Which is a huge growth. Now, I'm using Specsavers probably uh, as against you, the independents. Yes. And you'd have the multinationals, which would be Optical Express. Vision uh, Express. Vision Express. Yeah. And the uh, Specsavers. Yeah. They came in and they had, uh, I suppose, the two for one was there. Yeah. Catchphrase. Yeah. Uh, I suppose the the initial reaction of the independents, let's call them, was to yeah. follow that and try and beat them. Mm. But it took years to say that there is a differentiation. Yeah. And that Specsavers have their niche. Yeah. And their 
marketing yeah and the independence uh would have a different criteria i don't want to put anybody down on the i know side what you're saying, I'm, I'm saying you this, probably but, would have been authentic the, or something well the, the, you know it's funny were, sorry connor but you know this is something that was said to me quite early on because i was trying to get a feel for this as well yeah. you know i've done my research about the optical industry but i didn't know a huge amount about it yeah and someone described it to me at one point and i thought this is a good this i understood this is that you know there's kind of 30 percent of people in the world who who will always go to those massive multinational yeah. you know chains and that's the experience they want, you know, it's mm. quick and it's fast and all the rest of it. Yeah. And then there's 30% who would really rather go to their local independent optician where they know they'll get more time and, and they know they'll get a bit more, you know, maybe attention. And then there's 40% in between who haven't made, really made their mind up and may may move yes. one way or the other. Yeah. So I guess we're all kind of competing for that 40% in the middle. And that's kind of how it was explained to me. And that made a lot of sense because that's we, we talked a lot about this, you know, over the years about what differentiates us ultimately. What we talk about is dispensing to needs. That's something we talk about a lot in the business, especially yeah. in our management meetings. And Grania was, something with, you know, our optical director would talk about this a lot, which is, you know, there's often sometimes the suspicion, I think, among people that maybe people are being upsold glasses. Yeah. We don't ever want to be caught in that space. Yeah. What we want to be is we are talking to you, Stephen, say, for example, yeah. about your optical needs. Yes. Do you drive a lot? Are you in front of a computer a lot? Yeah. Do you like to play golf? Do you like to sail? Yeah. And that's a conversation then about what, Optical solutions will suit your lifestyle. So that's yeah. what we try to aim on. Yeah. That's really kind of the core of it. You know, and our shops are designed that way as well, so that when you come in, you aren't assaulted by a wall of glasses. Yeah. You come in, it's a bit more of a family feel, it's a bit more comfortable, there's nice music playing. Uh, you know, there's nice lighting, the shelves are, aren't absolutely overloaded with frames, you aren't overwhelmed into feeling like you need to purchase, purchase, purchase. It's more about you know, what you do is you'll go in and spend a good bit of time inside mm-hmm. with the optician or the optometrist. And then once you're finished that and we know and we understand what you're, what you're, you know, what you need for your lifestyle, for your optical lifestyle, then you'll come out and you'll meet with an optician and chat about that. I'm guessing also, Connor, that in many ways, by them coming in and them advertising so much like they, they did when they entered the marketplace, it probably created more of awareness and acceptability for wearing glasses also, did it? Oh, yeah. Well, that's the good thing about it because they've increased the market. Now, I haven't the percentages, but yeah. the market increased because people are more conscious of it. And when they put an ad in the paper, our patients would come along and say, Jesus, I need to get my eyes tested. So, yeah. so they grew the market. Now, yeah. they did take a lot of it yeah. as well, but it did grow. But just to move on, just to come back on the, we dispense to a need. We have a longer test. So when the, you have more time with the optician, yeah. we promote questioning, yeah. anything you want to know yeah. about it. You have time to yeah. talk to the optician rather than just come in. Yeah. Say so 15, 20 minutes. Again, I'm not running anyone down yeah. because that's the type. Yeah. We go for a long test. Then when you we do a handover, so based on what the optician has discussed with you, he then discusses with a, the dispenser and we sit down and talk about the lenses, mostly in uh, in stores like the specs of you come out and you wander around to pick a frame. Yeah. The frame might be totally suitable. Yeah. So we sit down and go through what you need optically, the lenses you need. Yeah. Then we go on and pick a frame according to what you need. According to what you need. Okay. Based on your sports, yeah. your obviously your occupation. So we sit down and talk away about that first. Give you a spread of what you need and what you feel comfortable with. Then we go on and pick the frames. So that's the, yeah. the, the, the difference. I mean, it would be... Uh, again, I don't want to tread on the yeah, thing, but yeah. if you were a fast restaurant mm. where you go in, if that's mm. what you want, that's fine. But that's if you fine. want to go in and yeah. sit down and, and have a, an enjoyable yeah. meal and get something that you like at the end of it, yeah. that's the other side. But 
neither of them are wrong. It's just what whatever you feel comfortable yeah, with. Yeah, it's whatever what suits, suits you. you. The one thing I realized very quickly, again, not being a, an optical with an optical background, is you think this stuff is very straightforward, right? It's a pair of glass you put in your face. Yeah. But of course, like everything, it's not. the more you dig into it, you know, even down to fit, I mean, the, the amount of science and thought that goes in when you meet with a qualified dispensing optician who sits there and understands how the glasses should fit on your face. Yeah. It's a small yeah. thing, but it's a lot of things people overlook. Um, yeah. That sort of stuff's important to us. So I know there's probably a lot of people listening and they're thinking, okay, and if they're glasses wearers like myself, they're probably thinking, okay, I go in, I get my eye test, and then they say, you need a certain pair of glasses. And then they say, come back in two, three weeks. What happens in between that period? So where do the, where, where does... Where do the, gla- the lenses get made? Where, where, where does all that happen? Now we have uh, the lens, depending on yeah. what you decide. Yeah. So a lot of the lenses now are made to your specification rather yeah. than the stock one that you just stick into a pair of yeah. frames and That's finish. That's a good boy in Tesco or somewhere. The, the, yeah. So yeah. we'd uh, get it made depending yeah. on your type of lens, Yeah. depending on the material that the lens. Yeah. Uh, then depends on the coating you put on. Yeah. With the computers and everything, you have special coatings on it. So all that then has to be made. Now, there are a, a number of uh, companies. Yeah. Uh, SLR is probably a well-known one. People okay. might know about that, but yeah. there are others. Uh, there's highs in there, uh, which, again, people will know. But they make and they put a lot of work into designing lenses and making it, and they keep it up to spec. Okay. Uh, so we get them to make it. So each lens these days is nearly made especially because there's so uh, so many alternatives yeah. that has to be linked together, that has to be made. So that's where the two weeks yeah. uh, takes mm-hmm. by the time you get it, make it, then comes back, and then we have to cut it and fit. So we have a, we have a workshop. Oh, on, you do the cutting. We do, yeah. we yeah, do yeah. the cutting. Now, obviously, you don't make it because some of these machines, I yeah. mean, the, the coated machines would be, it's in the, the millions just to put coatings, uh, those special coatings yeah. on. So they need a big turnover. Nobody could do it yeah. on, on a, a, for a quick basis or for a small shop. So these they are big companies would, would do it. So they, and when it comes in, we cut it and put, and fit it. So we have a workshop that will, and then we do repairs and things like that as well. You know, once upon a time, you would have walked into a, a large high street opticians and they would have had a lab, you know, where they're actually cutting and grinding the glasses yeah. in the center of the shop almost to showcase the fact that they have yeah. this. A lot of those have gone now because it's just not economically viable. So uh, most opticians accept now that it needs to be sent away to be, to be you know, done. properly done. And especially as you have increasingly more coatings, powers, you know, the way your, your the way your glasses need to be cut will be different from the next person because of how what your needs are. Yeah. Um. So it means that, yeah, more often than not, it's, well, we're we normally seven to ten days for us just to say. But yeah, two yeah. weeks might be the average, yeah. And did you always have a workshop? Oh, we did. Yeah. Well, back in the old days, yeah. uh, uh, it was glass. I mean, plastic was uh, unheard of. But the glass lenses, you had to actually just draw with a diamond cutter. Again, you had very few shapes. All the frames were similar. Yeah. 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 So then you had to actually uh, grind a line around the lens and just literally shank them down with with a, uh, you had to break off bits of the glass down to the shape and then uh, put a bevel on it with the stone. I mean, it, it took forever. It just couldn't work now. It just, yeah, yeah. It, it took ages to make a lens. That's gone way back now, probably in the 1950s, 1960s. And was that, was your father doing that type of stuff? Yeah. So there were, that was the, the workshop was a different ball game altogether. But there wasn't that many lenses. You'd only had yeah. a single vision and yeah. a bifocal. That was it. And I'd and imagine glass. back then as well, people probably would get their glasses fixed more 
then maybe no, they'll just I'll get a new pair. It's, oh yeah, I mean they kept going for yeah. years and years, and uh, but then a machine came out that you could put a pattern on the side okay. of the you'd you'd make a, an alloy pattern of a, of a frame, yeah, and put that on the side and put the lens in it would cut it on the stone. Yeah. this was like crazy stuff. This is amazing, but I mean it's gone on and on from that. So now you can you can actually do a remote edging, so you could scan a frame here yeah. and cut it. Anywhere in in the world, you could get it cut and to come in cut for the frame. You know, the technology in, in cutting lenses are, are, is amazing. It's not just science um, or medicine. It, it's also a craft, craftsmanship in many well, ways, isn't the, it? Well, it is. Well, I, you know? I suppose the machines have taken the craft yeah. out of it, but there is a craft. But at least I know how to do it <laughs> in the event. If of you it, were stuck, if the, if machine I was stuck, did, uh, yeah. Yeah, if the machines were, were gone. So, uh, but there is a craft with it. But even fitting the lens, there is a craft. Fitting a frame to a person, making sure that it fits their nose, fits their ears, yeah. that you don't have it cutting into the side of their head. That yeah. that is a craft that you know a good fitting frame. You kind of straddle two sides of it. You kind of you know it's retail, okay, because yeah. you're selling frames, yeah. and fashion is a large part of that, and maybe tints as well or whatever it might be. So that's a large part of the business. But then also, you know, you're a healthcare provider. You know, we we are we are ensuring that people's eye health is taken care of. So. Mm you know, ER mass marketing in, ma- in many ways because you have toddlers up yeah. to senior citizens. Yes. You know, y- y- every age profile has glasses. Oh, yeah. And the, the fit on a, a toddler's, it's, well, well, it is difficult, but that is an art and a craft and it's very, very important. Do now, it, we've done yeah. kids down to a yeah, year old yeah which it can be difficult. very difficult yeah that is difficult to but manage. but the, the, you know there's there's fairly heavy evidence there that if, you know if a child has myopia from a young age yeah. can, a lot can be done to reduce yeah you know they can, there's a thing called myopia management which we do which basically you know that's more about a lens but you know you can stop somebody's eyesight getting much much worse if you can intervene under the age of eight yeah so this is something that we would talk about a lot and you're, you're worried about scaremongering here but the reality is if you have any suspicion at all that your child has, has myopia or poor eyesight get yeah. into your optician straight away because yeah. things can be done yeah. uh, to correct it or at least to stop mm-hmm. the decline if you're quick about it. Now the, you mentioned the myopia management that is a, a new lens usually when you wear a pair of spectacles yeah. when you put them on you can see clearly when you take them off it just goes back to the way they were. Yeah. It won't make it any better and yeah. it won't make it any worse but you yeah. can see clearly when you put them on. The myopia management is a new development in that it can actually slow down and stop short-sightedness in children. Because hmm. most people, if they have a, a low degree of myopia at maybe three or four years old, that is going to get stronger. Hmm. And they could go quite strong by the hmm. time they're into the teenagers. So we're talking about 2020, COVID kicked in. Lots of people went to screens. Hmm. Did you see a lot of people come in with vision problems all of a sudden? Or yeah, Well, the new movement is with this. Well, it was always there, but it's been ex- exacerbated by the masks. Yeah. And if you have spectacles, well, the fogging up is one thing, but yeah. it's also blowing up onto the eyes. Okay. And it's exacerbating the dry eye, which oh. is, uh, people come in, they say, my eye's watering. Yeah. And you say, oh, that's dry eye, which seems, oh, yeah, <laughs> why is it watering? watering? Yeah. Usually the tears are made from water, but you need oily secretions from the glands to make that more viscous yeah. and it stays on the eye. Yeah. But if the eye is watering, it's just pouring off and then letting the eye dry. So then you have a lid coming down on yeah. a, a, an eye that's drying out. 
and let's not go to any surface rubbing off an eye. Yeah. So the eye just gets irritated. So we, we've we done a lot of work. There's the masks, different solutions that have come out mm. and that helps the, the dry eye. But again, that's checked when you come in. And again, the uh, companies have moved uh, and they're bringing out machinery, which yeah. we're looking at to track the dry eye and how it, you know, how the eye dries up, how quick it dries how up, quick. and all that. So yeah. those that machinery, which we're looking at, mm. and and hopefully we'll get that will help the situation. Yeah. But that is a, a niche, I suppose, market within the optics of yeah. dry eye treatment. Uh, well, and the other thing I was going to say, you know, you mentioned masks, and and yes, people are using screens more, and that's going to have an impact over time because the reality is that you blink considerably less. So you blink to moisten your eyes to 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 eliminate damage to it. But if you're if you're looking at a screen with a refresh rate. Mm. It, it induces your brain to blink less and the same if you're lying in bed looking at your phone and, yeah. and whatever it is so you know the, we're only whatever just over 10 years into the iPhone revolution and the, the kind yeah. of smartphone revolution so no one can say for definite yet we're probably going to start to see more eye irritation dry eye myopia yeah. even the indications are that if we're all blinking less it's going to do more damage to our eyes which means we probably need to take better care of our eyes yeah. and some of the stuff Connor's talking about there would, would hopefully help that and I see you have blue tint in your glasses. I, I do. Got, I got it for screens last year. I got treated to some blue yeah. tint, yeah. So what does that actually do? Connor's the expert here. What a, on the blue end of the spectrum, yeah. there's more energy in that. Uh, so it's bad. There's UVA, UVB, yeah. ultraviolet A and UV, yeah. ultraviolet B. There's uh, obviously ultraviolet is invisible, yeah. so you don't see it. But the low end ultraviolet, that causes uh, irritation on yeah. the, uh, the eye. Okay. That coating, the blue blocker, it blocks that part of the uh, via the blue light. Yeah. And it reflects it away. That's why you get the blue coming Did, at it. You, oh, I see, I see, so I see the, the blue. They're actually kind of yellow looking. Yeah. But yeah. So it's reflecting back the it's blue, but it's back. not going into your eye. I, yeah. I'm seeing it, not you. So oh, it I cuts see. out that section of blue light. Yeah. Which it, which is that's the high energy that damages the eye, and it comes off screen LED lighting anything like that I know people say oh we can change the colour but that's not changing the, the the light coming off yes so the LED lighting it's, is throwing out that blue light as well yeah there's a condition called sick building syndrome you know we all like having these beautiful white spaces maybe a lot of glass you know the, the, the high beam lights above yeah but what actually happens is as a consequence of the light bouncing off different reflective surfaces yeah. it actually almost becomes sensory overload yeah. you know and it can be quite hard on not just your eyes but obviously your your brain too. So uh, there are things you can do to to help mitigate against that, and and you know blue tint to some. But we do the thing called visual processing as well, which is which is uh, something our optical director Grania is very keen on, which is about trying to find glasses that'll actually help reduce some of that visual excess visual stimulus. Yeah. Um. If you're struggling with it, it might be through migraines or headaches or yeah, you get tired yeah, or or yeah, overtiredness. I, found, I found yeah. that myself. Yeah. I was getting tired a lot. Yeah. 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 So that's that's something else we're looking into. It's all very interesting stuff. So I'm guessing it opens up a new market. People that usually wouldn't have glasses now probably do for just for screen time. Yeah, yes. increasingly the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Relaxed eyes. Yeah, yeah. It, it is noticeable. It's unusual. Like you, mm. I put these glasses on, and these are my blue tint glasses, and it's almost immediate. Like it just yeah. feels almost more relaxing. So, yeah. and we're on screens a lot. So, like, and I presume you don't have to have a prescription for lenses. You can just go in and you can get these glasses. 
yeah, we call them plano. So in other words, they don't they don't have a prescription in them. There's no power. Yes. But we would recommend get a, a test. Yeah, because just in case you might need something. That's part of it. I mean, the last thing we want is you coming and telling us that you don't need spectacles. That's yeah. not yeah. the right way yeah. of doing yeah. it. Yeah. I'll tell you whether yes. you need it. <laughs> yeah. so, but it's covered with PRSI anyway. Yeah. This isn't yeah. an ad or anything. Yeah. But you, your, <laughs> yeah, but your PRSI <laughs> covers it. So you might as well get it done and, mm. and it's it's covered. With, that's it. It's, like, yeah. it's it's free but there is kind of I mean my short time doing this there's definitely you can see kind of an arc so so people kind of and I was the same blind ignorant they're taking yeah. care of their eyes I'm in my 20s I'm in my 30s ah shit's grand you know I'm, I live forever uh, if you haven't already had a serious optical need uh, and then you kind of hit your late 30s early 40s and there's suddenly there's a kind of a hold of the phone a bit further yeah and then I see it at friends of mine suddenly the text on the phone's getting a bit bigger and you kind of go I think maybe you want to get an eye test yeah so I mean honestly as Connor says you know any optician will give you an eye test for, for if your PRSI entitlements are there you can yeah. in you get it for nothing like so do it every two years do it have you ever come across somebody that has got an eye test late in life and they should have really had classes <laughs> all their life Oh yeah all, yeah, all the time. Because to them, it's normal yeah. what they look at until they see, usually if they're in the pub and yeah. some fella looks up at, at a bottle of whiskey and they say, oh, just look at that, such a whiskey. And I say, I can't see it. And yeah. then he might come in to get a test. <laughs> so it is not until you're, you know, until you judge. Because you what you're seeing, you think everybody else sees the yeah. same thing. And like, but what's their reaction when they put on glasses like that for the first time? Like, they must see everything totally different all of a sudden. Oh, yeah. It's 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 clear. Yeah. They may so, not like it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, some yeah. of the, the, the kids that have been going on for a long time, the, the children that come in, they might have mm. 13, 14, and they need spectacles for a long time. And when they put yeah. it on, like, suddenly, boom. I, said, I, I yeah. can see clearly it's... The, the, the good thing for that age group now is, I mean, you can get some, you know, really... Glasses are far more fashionable than yeah, when, yeah. when we were young yeah. fellas, you know, you mean... We, we would have people coming in just buying glasses because they like the frames, you know, yeah. or people who come in and routinely buy a pair of glasses every second or third pay packet yeah. because they, they're into the fashion of it. So at least you don't have to look like a yeah. NHS pair of glasses on your head. Uh, yeah. You Jack Duckworth. Yeah. Poor Jack Duckworth. Yeah. 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 So Put your paper clip in the side there, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. And you probably had a lot of that over the years as well, people with little bits of sellotape. Or well, I tell you, we have a WhatsApp group in work. So yeah. between us, um, this, the stores will share information. If okay. Maybe there's, someone's looking for a pair of frames or somebody you know and sometimes every now and again there'll be a photograph sent into the group for the technician who works in the lab and yeah. to say do you think these are repairable and some of them are brilliant I mean you're looking at it and it's effectively disintegrated but people are, are, are yeah. they love their glasses and they get a pair they like and they, and they don't want to get rid of them you know Yeah. so we do our best we do our best to help do our best to fix yeah. it and for some people it's not fashion it is just, it's just something yeah. that they wear every day yeah yeah. yeah. Exactly. I suppose some people you know going back to the reading some people do resent that they need reading spectacles yeah. it, it is a pushback alright but I mean it will yeah. help once they get into it it will help them now the other thing with the pair of reading glasses it won't make your eyes worse because a lot of people think oh when I get the glasses yeah. I need to wear them forever uh, well, and you know what on that Roy one of our, our optometrists Roy has a very good line on that and he said right and basically the way he explained it to me is that everybody's eyes ultimately the muscle is deteriorating over time that's yeah. what's causing myopia is your the muscle is deteriorating yeah and he puts it, it's, you know, we're all on the same journey, just some of us get there quicker than others. Yeah. So in other words, you know, you really wearing glasses or a lot of these things don't necessarily have an impact. It's just, it's just unfortunately your eyes are deteriorating faster than somebody else's. Was there always a thing that I, I suppose people said, oh, I must be getting old. So I don't, I don't, they don't want to go to the opticians because they think, oh, 
I'm getting old now because I need reading glasses. Yeah, that's the reading glasses. Well, but, you I know, suppose you do hit an age and you will need yeah, reading glasses. End we, of story. We can't complain though. You know, most people accept that glasses is probably going to form part of their life at some point. And plus, it's also actually kind of trendy now, right? So that's not too bad. Yeah. But if you speak, to, if you bring an audiologist in here, they'll tell you how hard it really is to convince people they need to get a hearing test. Yeah. Uh, they, for whatever reason, people are really, you know, yes. I don't need a hearing test. Whereas with glasses, people largely accept, okay, maybe I should get that looked at every couple of years. And do you have any kind of stats on percentages of of how many people in the country would wear glasses? The stat that we do have is that there's a that the need for glasses, the average age of a person who needs glasses is coming down. Yeah. So increasingly we need them at a younger age. Uh, and that could be any number of reasons. Could be diet, could be any number of reasons. It could also be technology, but it's a fact, unfortunately, that uh, the way we're going is we're we're needing we're needing glasses at a younger age. And just on that. So drink lots of water, eat lots of green vegetables. That's apparently the key to, to keeping your eyesight strong. <laughs> yeah. But on the uh, same with everything, really. on that, the the case of short sightedness or myopia is increasing. I haven't got the figures. Yeah. I should have it because I've read it, but that is increasing. And what's uh, causing that? We're not really looking away into the distance at all. I mean, here mm. I'm, I'm in a room. Yeah. 10 feet, 12 feet. I'm, yeah. I'm seeing uh, yeah. you're looking at your laptop, you're looking at your phone, yeah. you're in. No, obviously, if you're in the car, you're looking way down the road. Yes, that is. But apart from that, you're short distance all the time. Yeah. yeah. Now, there's no f- definitive proof, but they're saying that's the way it is that we're living in a, a more enclosed world. And you so know what? Even, yeah. um, sorry, and I, I have two bits of good advice in part. One yeah. I've just done with the green vegetables and water, and this is the only other bit I have, unfortunately, but it's a good one. And, and yeah. it's one of the, again, the optometrists have told me this, but. They say in terms of, you know, because we, we all spend a lot of time staring at a very close distance now, yes. which is, you know, and you're staring intently often as mm. well, which is not mm. good for the muscles in your yeah. eye. So you do the 20, 20, 20 rule, which yeah. is every 20 minutes for 20 seconds, look 20 yards. So in other words, take your head away from your screen, look in the distance. I don't know. Think about your next holiday or yeah. your, your new opticians or whatever it might yeah. be, but 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 gaze, gaze in the distance for 20 seconds. And, and apparently it, it takes a bit of pressure off the eyes. Just trains them not to be constantly mono staring. No, I, I think it's more the younger people. But yeah. I put myself there. I'm in the older, definitely in the older Only section. Just but with the younger people coming up, they're sh- looking at short distance all yeah. the time. So we and don't really know globally, what that's going to mean. Yeah, yeah. Globally, short sightedness is increasing. Yeah, in the uh, the, the the first world countries yeah. because we are. Close looking, close. Yeah, but you, I suppose you even look at people commuting now they're in a car, if they're not driving or if they're on a bus and or on a train, before they'd look out the window mm. and now they're looking at a screen. Yeah. We will only know so, in, in a, you know, in 10, 15 years, frankly, uh, you know, as yeah. to what the consequences are going to be. But it's, it's, yeah. it is a big change in our behavior in terms of, you know, the iPhone and all the rest of it is you, you are intently staring at a screen uh, a lot, for long periods of your day. In terms of change, is there any requests coming in then for eco-friendly products and things like that? Is that another kind of new area? We're starting to see it, definitely. Um, and, we, and we do, you have to accept as well, there, there's a fair bit of waste in the optical industry. Yeah. And it's and there are, you know, largely it would be the the, 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 the suppliers who are, you know, the Essilors of the world and all those, Luxottica, they're working harder on trying to reduce yeah. the amount of waste. You know, we're kind of a very small player in that, but... One interesting thing we saw recently was, remember, we, we had frames that came into us that were recycled plastic. Okay. So I think that's kind of where that's we can kind of help. Goal, yeah. yeah. You know, um, but there, you know, in terms of the lenses, there'd be a fair bit of waste. And I imagine that's something that Eslor, for financial reasons alone, would want to try and get a handle on. But also, obviously, because there's, there's an but, impact. But there is a lot of plastic thrown out because yeah. even the lens comes in. It's yeah. about 
70, 75 millimetre in diameter. Yeah. Effectively, we cut most of it away. Yeah, and of it, course. It There's a lot of wastage there. A lot of wastage. Now, we, we, you could argue the opposite is that people tend to be, you know, if you buy a pair of frames which are plastic like the ones I have in today. Yeah. At least they get reused. You know, you're going to keep them on your face for a long period of time, usually. Um, yeah. So they wouldn't be as disposable as most. Yeah. Uh, but even well, not then. not that long. Yeah, not that long, yeah. <laughs> what about contact lenses then? Are they, like, they're... Probably There's no way, no way of looking at contact lenses other than the fact that, yeah, they're, you know, yeah. if you're using daily lenses, that's a lot of plastic. Yeah. Again, it's not an either or. People yeah. have spectacles, yeah. but then they would get contact lenses for uh, for sport or for particular reasons. Yeah. So it's like a, a, a change. I think, I suppose, uh, looking back across the whole thing, I mean, years ago when I was doing it, there was one pair of spectacles. Yeah. So whether you went for a dress dance or whether you were fixing the car, you had the same pair of glasses. Yeah. People have moved now on that there's, again, it's, you dispense to their needs. So if yeah. they're working on the farm, they might need one pair. But I then if they're, if they're doing sport then as well, well they need maybe contact lenses yeah. or part of what they need. Uh, so the contact lenses are fitting in very popular. I mean, we do a lot of them. Uh, most people have the spectacles and contact lenses mm. and they go... For a while there, it was saying, I get rid of the spectacles, I wear contact yeah, lenses. Yeah. That's gone now too, mostly because of the damage the contacts were doing to yeah. the, the the eyes. But uh, now it's part of a, a regime where they'd have spectacles, that they might have safety spectacles, and then they'd have contact lenses. And then prescription sport. sunglasses is increasingly yeah, possible as well, because yeah. obviously a lot yeah. of people struggle with driving. Yeah. Is a crazy high percentage of people who struggle driving at night. Uh, some people have a thing called night blindness, which effectively makes the, you know the the headlights of other cars. Yeah, yeah. It makes it almost impossible for them to drive. Now, obviously, you can't wear sunglasses at night, yeah. but there are kind of tints you can get on on your glasses that can potentially help with that. But I think I read somewhere at one point that about thirty percent of uh, of all drivers require some sort of optical um, assistance. Mm. So a lot of people would have a pair of prescription glasses, uh, sunglasses in their car now to stop you know the high beam dazzling you know or, yeah. or even the glare when it's raining and the sun comes out actually that time is it when you kind of move into autumn and the nights yeah. get kind of darker or low your, sun your, low your, sun's a killer yeah. yeah and your eyes actually quite find it quite hard and between that kind of brightness and darkness that kind of dusk or something it, yeah. it's actually yeah. well, that's part of the going back to dispensing to need yeah where after the tests when you have a chat with the optician you come out and then we'll say what do you work at do you have problem driving yeah. do you do this what yeah. sports do you use and then all that is part of the build up to what you need. Yeah. And then we dispense and to that you need. Hmm. You said there were to go, you've gone outside of Cork you know, for the first time. You've, yes. You've gone into to Newbridge. How did that come about? Grainne Maguire, actually, our optical director, was a large part of that. So um, Grainne was working in the opticians up in Dublin and, and we were very keen to to get her on board because she, you know, she has a huge wealth of experience around this. She, she's got great ideas. And we felt there was an opportunity in Newbridge because it's on the kind of commuter belt nearly into to Dublin these days. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a good trading town and all the rest of it. And we thought it was a good opportunity to try try branching out beyond Munster uh, yeah. and see how it's gone. And what we learned now, we didn't get a very good shake at it really because we opened in January, 20, well, December 2019. So I very clearly recall the the opening night we had on February 28th <laughs> and two weeks later we closed the shop because of the oh pandemic. God, yeah, yeah. So, but at the same time, um, the Crowley's brand is starting to grow up there and, and people enjoy it. The corporate yeah. work is helping with yeah. that, you know. Um, we would see it sometimes as kind of nearly like a, a stepping stone to Dublin but also kind of like a, a centre of excellence as well. There's a lot of stuff we're trying up there. Mm. Um, so that's kind of where it came about. And did you introduce a new brand as well? A new, like, we did. Kind of 
new reds and stuff like that yes yeah, yeah. and we need to give a shout out to Urban there because Urban Print and Design there yeah. Katie over there would have been very integral in, in making that big change so Crowley's brand was very well known in Cork and, yeah. Cork, and, and we were obviously not keen to to break something that didn't you know it was already working but yeah. we felt uh, there was a big refurbishment going to happen in about 2016 was it 17 Connor? and yeah. so it, it was a good time so so the so Grand Parade was getting refurbished uh, Carrigaline was going to get refurbished and it made sense if we were going to change the brand look and feel we were going to go towards this more kind of a friendly atmosphere where you yeah. walk in the door and you're not going to get assaulted by glasses that was the time to do it so yeah. we would have worked with Katie and the team inside in Urban there down in Balancolic and they came up with a very good look and feel this bright red this white this black as well yeah um this kind of uh, quintessential old style looking glasses that are that, that follow our brand everywhere yeah um and that's what that came about and, it, and I can't see it changing anytime soon because we, we think we love it I think we, we think it looks timeless and yeah. classy you know and that's important and subliminal cork colors there as you're going just a little bit yeah don't tell anybody outside of cork though they haven't <laughs> come down yet yeah. well that, I suppose that it reminded me I, I, I was listening to the podcast was it Paula yeah. And she was talking about the Jury's Hotel That's when right, they yeah. make a brand yeah. they were going to call it the Cork Hotel. Yeah. Now we did call it the Cork, the Cork Opticians, Opticians yeah. but we had to change we that because we, now we opened up in Newbridge. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's uh, sometimes you, you, sh- you yeah. should watch what you call. You have to be careful. You don't upset yeah. other people. But yeah. We, what was interesting was we, we opened Ballincollig in the middle of the pandemic. So that was in, in December 2020. And this was our first experience of opening a store I suppose in Cork in, in 20 years, you know. Yeah. And um it, it really stands as a testament to, to the respect Connor and the Crowley family are held in that it's it's yeah. it's done very well. It's opened really strongly. It's people seem to love it out there. We're we're seeing a lot of customers walking in the door. And uh I think that's a testament to the fact that basically the Crowley family are and uh, have been seen as Cork's opticians for a very long time. Yeah. So where's the future? Like is it more stores? Uh, potentially. We, we we talk about it, but um yeah. like the real the reality is that we're still all kind of scratching our heads and coming out from, from last two years of COVID. I mean, it, it was this time two years ago, we were shut. That's right. And we yeah. didn't know when we were going to reopen. And we were one of the lucky ones. We were only closed for nine weeks. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we had all the uncertainty for the rest of that year. Last year was a stronger year. But our ambition would be to keep looking at potential opportunities. So that might be more stores. It might mm. be. We certainly yeah. have we certainly have ambitions around the corporate service too. It's increasingly becoming, you know, it's been popular for a while now, but seems to be getting going crazy now at the minute where people are inquiring about bringing us on site to their to their to their businesses. Yeah. Um and then I think if opportunities land in front of us, you know, be it in further in Cork or maybe up towards Dublin, who knows, uh we'd certainly consider it. But at the moment a lot of what we're doing is is really focusing on continuing to improve the service, continuing to improve the range, yeah. to continue to get better about our online communications. Um but a big part of it is, you know, we really want to be known for the service we provide inside in our stores and, and yeah. that's what we're focusing very heavily on this Premium. year. So I always finish the podcast with two questions. Um, the first question, I'll throw to you, uh, Connor, and we might change it up this week. I might have one each. So the, the first question is, like, so you've been in business now, you've owned the business for, you know, 30 years and previous to that you were working in the same business for 50 years. What tip would you give another company in terms of building their brand? Or to build the the brand, I suppose. Looking back over where I was, that I probably made mistakes along the way. Yeah. Is, is you know you build a brand, but you stick mm. stick with it and stick with what your fundamentals are. Yeah. Uh, I did go off track a few times, but I, I suppose I'm looking in. backwards. Yeah. Uh, at yeah. it. No, but sometimes you, you if you're doing something, you have a brand. For instance, optics. 
Yeah. Uh, now, at one stage, for some reason, I I actually went off and opened a pub in Russia. In Russia? Uh, yeah. Now, that's, looking back at it, that's something that uh, you know, it suited me at the time. Yeah, yeah. But as a brand, it's, it's, I, it's I'm on the wrong track. Yeah. You, you know, I should be just optics, yeah. stick with optics. And that is the, the one to go, where you go off and these things half cocked, yeah. uh, which is like a glory ego trip uh, yeah. on, on the day. But looking back, if I wanted to do that, I should have had set up put a proper manager in there. They look after the optics and I go off and do something else. But you can't do everything. So if you have a brand, you're the brand and yeah. then you just stick with that. Stick, stick with, with what you're good at. Yeah. You hold your set of values. Your yeah. ethos, yeah, and you don't go off and uh, on a different track, no matter how good or bad it is. Because if you go away from it, you, you, whatever about money, if you yeah. don't give it the time, yeah, you, you you must put time into it. Yeah, uh, if you give half your time to one thing, half time to other, it's you're going to lose your brand. And was that part of your decision in terms of bringing in a management team for the future? Is well, to kind well, of make the, sure the, that that brand stays on track. Well, it would be. I mean, uh, you know, when I if I can't go on forever anyway, but uh, you know, to have a succession yeah. thing is that there's a management team. Yeah. So everything comes back to the brand. So the other uh, question I have is, I, I'll throw it to you, Paul. Um, what tip would you give an individual? And in particular, I'm interested in you coming into a business that has a strong heritage, hmm. and there could be other people, and they've they may be thinking about going into a business similar or maybe they have gone into a business what tip would you give them? The tip I'd always give is you know if you're going to go and take on a big challenge or something brand new you know first of all make sure the ground is set correctly so that you're you're going yeah. to go in with, with like-minded people who you enjoy working with Yeah, I still enjoy working with this team after all these years but that that's a large part of it Yeah, and then I suppose the second piece of advice is be very clear in what you want to achieve with it you know mm. what what do, why are you doing this why do you want to do it What's in, what interests you about it because you have to love what you do or else you're really wasting your time Yeah. That's about the only advice I can probably give you. So finally, so, you know, the future of Crowley's. Connor, your own family aren't going to succeed you, are they? Or, you know, are they going to? Well, I have a daughter, uh, Alison, who's yeah. working. She's, uh, I was saying that I'm biased with her, but I mean, she is very good. She's yeah. managing two practices, really. She looks yeah. after the staff. She does stock and everything. So she is very good. Yeah. Uh, now, I mean, she's probably worried about taking on the whole thing especially at the size it is yeah so i say possibly again i just touched on succession i mean succession is important yeah and to probably be a management team to take over would be better yeah. to yeah. run it going forward they'll have better direction and they can see where they're going and is that hard for you personally to see the business move away from the family after 50 years or like as in i know it's not gone completely <coughs> but to relinquish control uh, well, it is, but I suppose I've I've got into a situation where I won't be around yeah. forever. Yeah, I I I think Connor deserves eternal credit for for having basically for seeing the bigger picture. Vision. And, uh, and I do think that Crowley's is not going to crowd without a Crowley involved. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to have Alison with this. Connor isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah. You know, probably outlive me. Yeah. So um, as long as we have that kind of essence of the Crowley family inside in, in the business, I think we'll be we'll be guided well. And the name won't change anymore. God no. They won't, it never change. I mean, there's so many of these oddball names that go with four eyes and all this. Yeah. But I think Crowley's opticians, it's, it's, like it. yeah. it's probably the, uh, it brings the family ethos 
to it in the, in, in the brand. So we'll hold on to that brand. It's been fantastic to listen to the story. A great brand um, and I'm sure exciting times ahead of the next few years and uh, we'll see those cock colours maybe in a few other companies. Uh, thanks a million, Connor and Paul, for coming in. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the 24 Stories podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and get in touch with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn at 24 Stories Tribe. I'll be back next week with a brand new guest. 